welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. I am so glad to be with you, man. Worship was so good once again. Um, well, for those of you joining us online, thanks for being here. If you're watching on the stream, listening to the podcast, all those things. And welcome to all of you in the room. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Yes, we are so glad you are here. We are in a series of teachings called an or- Orbiting a Beautiful Life. God is using this series to stir some things up in some people, and I'm so excited about it. I mean, God is doing a work where people are choosing for God to use them, do something in them. We're hearing those stories. It's so cool when God breaks through to a person's heart. Amen? And we're so thankful for that. I believe God has something for you today. I believe he wants to speak to many of us today. So look at your neighbor and just say, God has something for you today. That's right. We believe that. So we've been using this image the last few weeks. And this image is just an illustration of potentially where you are in life. That We believe that there is a beautiful life that exists for all of us. God's created us for it. And that some of us are orbiting that life. Some of us may feel further away from that, maybe distant from that. And some of us, if if we're being really honest, we, we don't know why we are where we are. Maybe you got there by accident. Maybe it's an intentional choice where you're at. But the truth is, is that orbit exists. We all understand it. We all know that sometimes we aren't where we're intended to be. We're not where we want to be. And the fringes and orbit, some of us are, we're way out here, but we want to get there, right? And we fight, well, like, how do I get there? And the fringes is a place that I've been saying is, we think it's a safe distance sometimes. We're like, oh, I need to keep my distance from something because getting too close to the fire sometimes we feel like we might get burned. But I'm telling you that it's on the fringes that is the most vulnerable place to be. It's where the enemy attacks. And so we've been saying, no, 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 it is time for us to, to quit settling for the unsafe distance from the life God has for us and to step towards the life that God wants. And so that's been our encouragement. That's what we hope you guys are feeling and sensing God stirring up in you. And we want you to help, we want to help you consider where am I in life? So today, in order for us to continue to talk about the beautiful life, I want to talk about an idea called the gift of eternal life. Everyone say it's a gift. You can't really talk about the beautiful life without talking about eternal life. They kind of go with one another. And so inevitably, when I bring up eternity, some of us already start to begin to think, oh, are we about to talk about life after death? And and essentially, you know, you can't really bring it up without, yes, talking to some measure about what happens after we die, which means in some ways I'm bringing up the subject of death, which sounds really comforting for a lot of us today. We're excited to talk about that. And for others, maybe it's, we don't maybe think about about, about it in that way, but it's not necessarily comforting always to talk about death. So I thought it might be helpful to start with a joke. <laughs> because joking about death is always fun. That was sarcasm. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for my, my, y'all ready for my well-planned joke? Okay. Nine out of ten doctors warn that smoking may kill you. 
Seven out of ten doctors warn that bacon may kill you. But ten out of ten doctors say that smoking bacon will cure it. That was good. I did not expect anybody to laugh. Yes. Yes. All right. Enough with the jokes, right? But seriously, I did talk, I did talk to a funeral director recently, and they were telling me about the latest trend in funerals is glass coffins. And I said, whoa, do you think glass coffins will become like a thing, like it'll be a success? And he said, remains to be seen. <laughs> Woo! Some of you are like, I don't get it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You must not get a lot of things in life. Someone's like, did he really talk to a funeral director? I did not talk to a funeral director. And there's no, there's no survey with doctors and bacon, no. But the rest of this message is going to be 100% true, and there's going to be no more bad jokes on purpose. All right? Because in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I'm excited to talk about eternal life. Like, I'm excited about it. Because, because here's what I know, that God has created us for an eternal purpose that you are created in the image of God and you have an eternal reality about who you are, that there is the here and now. And some of us say, oh, but there's a next life. It's not just about the next life. It's like what God wants to do in you here and now and forever. How many of you know that forever is a long time? God has something for us today, and I'm excited about it. So I want you to think about like when you were on a road trip, maybe as a kid or maybe you have kids, there is a question that comes up on every road trip. And the question is really simple. We all know it. Are we there? Are we there yet? Every parent has heard it. Every kid has said it. And every human has felt it. We suffer from destination impatience. We want to get where we're going when we get there fast. We, we feel it in traffic. We feel it on road trips. We feel it with our dreams and desires. And we feel it in our spiritual life. We want to get somewhere fast. We have destination impatience. Something in us is waiting. We don't always know what for, but we believe there's something in the future that's better. Like God has something. We are going to discover something. And we're hoping to get there. And we feel something eternal, beyond the here and now. In the Christian faith, the deepest, most mysterious expression of what we're waiting on is found in the word eternity. When I was about 20 years old, I literally remember reading Ecclesiastes 3.11 and being like, yes, that's it. I totally get it. I agree with this. I resonate with it. So I thought I'd read it to you today. He says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful. Everyone say beautiful. beautiful. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Everyone say eternity. eternity. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I resonate with that to this day. Like that God has set eternity in every human heart. That we all know that somehow there's something going on beyond the here and now. There's something in us, even for those who have never heard the gospel, that there's something after this life. That there is eternity set in our hearts, that we are meant for more, that we have more to come. That there's an eternal reality that's not just about someday, but it's connected to now. Listen to one of the many things Jesus said about eternity. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, very 
Truly, I tell you, whoever, ha- whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. Everyone say eternal life. And will not be judged, but has crossed over, imagine, crossed over from death to life. When I was new to faith, I would have probably plopped myself in orbit. We've all been in orbit. I've been in and out of orbit in my life. How many of you know that we all understand we've been in orbit, right? We get that. When I was in orbit, I used to think about eternity a lot. Heaven and hell would kind of capture my imagination. And, and in a lot of ways, it was, it was dominated by a question. Like, will I get into heaven? I used to think about that question, and it was something that I, it was a real question. And here's what I know about orbit and the fringes and distance, is those sort of questions start to fill our mind because when we're in the fringes, things are a little fuzzy, especially when it comes to eternity. And we wonder, well, maybe it's just this common idea that, you know, all good people go to the good place. They all go to heaven. So there's a good place for good people, a bad place for bad people. And we're like, is that really? And at some point in our adult maturing life, we're like, we struggle with that idea. Like, surely that's, that's not how this works. And so we start to wonder, well, maybe this is all just folklore. Maybe this is this kid's stories. Maybe this is some, some you know, mysterious you know, mumbo-jumbo just to make us feel good about ourselves someday. Maybe when we talk about hell, it's, not, it's just this scare tactic that people use to, hey, to, to do behavior modification on us. We start to think these things. But what did Jesus really say about eternal life? I think that's the key question for us. Because the truth in our culture is that we are more shaped by movies, by television, by the things we read in book. That's what shapes our picture of eternity, our picture of heaven and hell. But I'm telling you, there's a lot more than pitchforks and harps when it comes to these places that we identify as heaven and hell. And I think it's just go to Jesus and let's see what he said. You guys with that? So here we go. Jesus actually defined eternal life very clearly in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one or the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, eternal life means this. Eternal life, and go to the next slide, equals knowing God. Knowing Jesus. This is what the scripture says. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus who he has sent. And knowing God isn't an intellectual knowledge, but it's an experiential knowledge. For example, I am a bit of a hiking and mountain nerd. I like to learn about mountains, and I know a lot about them. And, for example... Most of us know about this one, but Mount Everest, everybody knows about this one. But I know a lot about it. I know, I know how hot, what the elevation is. I know who the first people to climb the mountain was. It's a guy named Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay. I know these things. I even know that we pronounce Everest wrong. Like the guy who this mountain is named after, his name is actually pronounced Everest. Mount Everest is the way it's supposed to be said, guys, which is way cooler. Everybody say Everest. I don't. Here's the thing about Everest is I don't actually know Everest by experience. I know it by head knowledge. I've never been within 2,000 miles of Everest. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really know it. Eternal life is knowing God through experience. It's knowing the landscape, the terrain with God. Much like climbing a mountain, it's full of pain, adventure, beauty, struggle, doubts, joy, power, breakthrough, the realization that there must be more to this. How many know that when you're on the mountain, you experience the beauty of what he's created, you realize there must be more. Yeah. Here, I'll show you another mountain. 
I know this one by experience. This is called Clouds Rest. It's in Yosemite National Park. I hiked this with a group of friends. We went from the base to the summit. This is the spine of the mountain that takes you up to the summit. How many know that'll, that'll make, you know, your cheeks pucker a little bit, right? <laughs> so you're going up. I'll go to the next one. Okay, so check this out. This is the summit. Looking out over Yosemite Valley. This is 17 miles, 40,000 steps, 5,000 feet in elevation gain to get there. How many know that that's not easy? That was a hard hike. My calves were talking to me like, what are you doing to me? And so I, but here, how many of you know that when you get there, you're like, man, this was so worth it. How many know that it can be a lot, but can also be a gift? How many know that kids can be a lot, but they're a gift? On that hike, it wasn't just the summit that was the gift, but the journey was too. Every step of the way. And we get this when it comes to a journey like that. We're like, oh, yeah, no matter what effort, training, or whatever is required, it's still a gift. How many know that eternal life is a gift? It's a lot. It's a journey, but it's a gift. How many know that can be hard and it can be a gift? What I've learned, the closer I get to the beautiful life, is that the closer I get, the more that my eternal awareness grows. Meaning my eternal life isn't something that hinges on one moment if I get into heaven or I fall into hell. Like it's something different. Eternity is knowing God. Salvation is knowing God. Not just through head knowledge, but through experience. We are saved from something, and we are saved for something. How many of you agree with that? We are saved from sin. We are saved from death, but we are saved for life. We are saved for good. We are saved for a purpose. We are saved for bringing the kingdom of God to earth. How many know the kingdom of God is eternal? It's forever, and it's also now. So the closer I move to the beautiful life, my eternal security grows. I'm not wrecked by the question, what's going to happen when I die? Or we might wonder, have I done the minimum requirements to get into heaven? Some people are like, all you got to do is say that prayer. Some people are like, all you got to do is just believe the right things and you'll get into heaven. Again, that's like knowing about Eve rest without ever going there. Salvation is knowing God by experience. We can't come to Jesus with a minimum requirement mindset. We can't treat them like it's college admissions. What's the minimum score on the ACT that I got to get to get into college? We can't come with that sort of mindset. What's the least I can do to get into heaven? <laughs> this is how some people have approached it. Think of it like a marriage. I did a wedding last night. Like what if that groom, when we're doing the vows, what if he said to his bride, I vow to do just enough to be your husband? What if I said to Christy on our wedding day, listen, what's the least I can do to stay married to you? Like, how much time do you need from me? Like, no, listen, listen, how many I love yous do you need per year? Christy's not going to go, she's not with that, right? <laughs> to make sure. We can read it. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, that's not the way marriage works, right? Marriage is an all-in proposition. It's not a minimum requirement proposition. 
and, and he, it's like, it's the beautiful collision of two people giving everything to the other. That's what it should be. And Paul, he says in Ephesians 5, he, he, he actually compares the relationship between a husband and a wife to that between Jesus and the church. And he says, listen, this is how you're supposed to be. Just like marriage is an all-in proposition, so it is with Jesus. You don't come in with the minimum requirements. So I want us to consider this question of, go back to the, the question, are we there yet, right? We're on the road trip. Are we there yet? I just want to answer this question for you. The answer is yes. We are there. <laughs> Eternity with God has begun. When Jesus showed up, he announced his kingdom. Mark 1.15 says it this way. Jesus came into Galilee, this is the very beginning of his ministry, proclaiming the gospel of God. Hold on, I thought Jesus was the gospel. He's already talking about the gospel. Jesus brings the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning, it's here. How many say, everybody say right there, just say it's here. It's here. He says, repent and believe the good news. Two weeks ago I told you that the gospel just simply means the good news of Jesus. It just means the good news of God's kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's upon us. Remember, God's kingdom is eternal. It's forever. So eternity is now, or as one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, says, eternity is now in session. I think many of us know that the things that we do now can have an eternal impact. And if we can have an eternal impact now, that means we're already in some measure of eternity. Like that there is an eternal life, a gift that God gives us in the present forever. And so a lot of us know we could store up treasures on earth. Or the scriptures say that we can store up treasures in heaven. That we can make an eternal impact with our lives. I believe what I'm about to share is going to be a good word for a lot of us. So, so tune in if you've tuned out. We need to give our heart and our life to things that last. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? John 15, 16 says it this way. I chose you, Jesus is saying this, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Everyone say fruit that will last. That was okay. You guys kind of were all over the place, but it's okay. You know what really matters in life? Whenever the things that you do today, that there's still some measure of fruit and impact from it in 5, 10, and 20 years. Right? Like this sermon today, it doesn't really matter what it feels like in 20 minutes. It matters what it feels like in two weeks, in 20 weeks, in 20 years. If God has used this in what we're doing here today to produce fruit that lasts. That's how we measure what's successful in life. And that's hard to do because we want instant, immediate measurements to where we can be instantly gratified. But what God's saying, I want you to invest in something different, something better, something eternal. For a lot of years, I was a youth pastor, you know, before I became a big, bad, you know, senior pastor. <laughs> um, but I was a youth pastor and I used to be in the mission field in a, in a land far, far away called youth ministry. I mean, it was just part of my life. Leslie knows what I'm talking about, right? The job of youth pastor 
is not as easy as some of you think. It's not all, you know, summer camp and, and kumbaya and marshmallows and peanut butter games. It's not all that stuff. For real, youth pastor is doing the serious work. And when I was a youth pastor, people used to ask me all the time, like, so do you work at the church like during the week? Which people still ask me, by the way, as if I only work on Sundays. Um, what would you say you do here? <laughs> youth pastors, though, along with their youth leaders, they're doing some serious work. They're actually introducing for most people at that age the gospel to them and what a life with, of faith and a life with God actually looks like. They're helping set up. I know parents do that too, but youth pastors are really critical in that part, that part of their life. And in the process... We watch students kind of rise up in their faith, and then uh, unfortunately, oftentimes we see students that kind of fall away. They, there's like a rising up and a falling down, and they get distracted, they get tempted by the world or whatever. And I can think back, by the way, the orbiting thing is so real in students' lives. And I, I can think of, of so many students who I loved and who I poured my life into and where I spent a lot of time with, and God started to do, did an amazing work in their life. And then a year or two later, they're so far from God, it's not even funny. Like, they're on drugs or they're, they're in pain or they're in a struggle. And, and, and to, to my knowledge, some of those people that I think of when I think about those stories, they've never come back to God. And there's nothing more painful than watching, watching the enemy do something in someone's life where the fruit that you're trying to produce in them, that fruit doesn't last. That's a painful thing. But I will say that I'm also thankful, you know, 20 years later, I can look back and see students. I literally, me and Christy, we've been in ministry almost 25 years. So we can look back 20 years now and we can see the fruit that has lasted. I can see students that are still in the game. I can see students who love Jesus with all their heart. I can see students who now are working in churches or who serve in churches at high capacities. And it's, and it's an amazing thing. I mean, how many of you in this room, we have some that go to this church. How many of you were in a youth ministry in mind when you were a kid? Raise your hand. Oh, thank the Lord. I was like, this is going to be a bad illustration and nobody raised their hand. Usually there's more. <laughs> They're on vacation. It's okay. They're always here because I raised them up. <laughs> One of them is Isaiah who works here on this staff, right? Riley Bailey who serves on our oversight team. Caleb Kenny who speaks here all the time, right? Robbie Shelby Jones. Robbie just led worship this morning. Alex Madul, who's a connect group leader. Jesse Brower, who serves in our kids. I mean, I can keep going, but I'm sure I'm going to forget someone. But you know who you are. And I get to see the fruit of 20 years ago today. How many know that's good? How many know that that's, that's what we're going for, right? And I'm not taking credit for anything in their life. But I'm saying God allowed me, and I know he's allowed you in times of his life, to be a part of an eternal work. So this is the stuff that matters, the way we raise our kids, the way we spend our money, the way we invest in other people. It's a fruit that lasts. We're saved from something, but we're also saved for something. Jesus talked about this idea through his scriptures. And in the parable of Matthew 13, we see something that's pretty, pretty significant. Sometimes seeds take root. It's the fruit that lasts, and sometimes those seeds don't. And that's the painful stuff that I was talking about earlier. Matthew 13, verses, verse 3. Then he told them many things in the parable, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. I told you that you're better than a bird, just so you know. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the, uh, yeah, because the soil was shallow. Everyone say shallow. shallow. How many know you got to go deep? But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. Everyone say good soil. Where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Later in verse 18, Jesus actually explains this, this parable, which I think this parable is relatively easy to understand, but he goes a little deeper. He says, listen, verse 18, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. Everyone say heart. heart. Put your hand on your heart. That's the good soil, your heart. This is where the, the seed of the gospel gets planted, in your heart. The, this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. How many of you know you've seen people receive the gospel with joy, but since they have no root, it only lasts for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. Sometimes we get distracted and we're like, I think money's the answer. Not God, not Jesus. Making it unfruitful. It's not fruit that lasts. But the seed falling on good soil, the heart, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces fruit or a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. We want the seed of the gospel, the good news, to be planted in our hearts in a way that produces fruit that lasts. That's what everybody wants. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's my life. That's who I am. Some of you are like, I don't know if that's me. So many of us have experienced the gospel in different ways, and we can relate with these three things. These three things that, that, that God says, they didn't take root. Remember the first one, right? The seed is put in our hearts. But the enemy then deceives us, confuses us. He casts confusion and doubt on the gospel and snatches that seed. Or the second example, right? The gospel comes, the seed is put in our hearts, we receive it with joy. But because there's no root, because there's no root, whenever some persecution comes, whenever some difficulties come, just like our excitement fades, so do we. And the enemy snatches that seed. Or, this one feels very relevant in today's world. There's a seed among the thorns. We cry out to God in the midst of our problems. God, I need your help. So we cry out to him and we expect him to finish it. And you know what? When things don't turn around exactly the way we want and as fast as we want, the enemy says, see, God didn't save you. And he makes you start worrying again. He makes you start looking to other things to be your true answer, whether it be wealth or other things. The enemy snatches that seed. But the fourth one, that's the one we want, right? We want the seed to fall on good soil. We want to grow roots with God. Where we don't have that on again, off again, orbiting, distant, I don't know where I fit. I'm always thinking about eternity. I can't quite land the question of what's going to happen. I don't know. I'm always waiting. I can't feel secure. So many people wrestle in that space. So the seed of the gospel, I just want to say this real quick. I got three quick things. The seed of the gospel takes root with three different things. The first one, a ready heart. 
meaning an authentic one, a genuine one, a desire to know God and to experience the journey with him. Not just a head knowledge, but one that is experience, right? A knowledge of experience, the gospel in all of its fullness, not just to get from God the thing that you need, but to do life with God for the rest of your life. It's a genuine, ready heart for the gospel to take over your life. That's how the seed of the gospel gets planted in your heart. Number two, immediate water on the seed. I'm calling this baptism. I'm taking this word picture and I'm taking it and applying it to other scriptures we see where Jesus says everyone who, need, who is saved needs to be baptized. And so many people don't do this. They don't realize like how important this step of obedience is. It's the first step of obedience that Jesus gives us when we follow him. Will you trust me with baptism? Because I want you to go and celebrate. I want you to go experience the blessing that I want to give you through this picture of your life being buried with me and being raised up to walk a new life. And this is the picture that he's given us and, and he's called us to it. So it's a step of obedience. We trust that God has called us to it. We put water on that seed for that seed, imagine it, to take root. Are you all with me? Jesus said, if you'll confess me before others, I will confess you before my heavenly father. But if you deny me before others, I will deny you before my heavenly father. And baptism is one of the best ways. It's not the only way, but one of the best ways to confess before other people that I am Jesus' follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. He has saved me by grace. Baptism is the perfect way to do that. We're doing baptism in two weeks, November 13th. For some of you, this is the thing that you need to do. You need to water that seed. You need to let it take root. Some of you have just given your life to Christ recently. This is the thing. Because the enemy wants to snatch that seed. And you need to take care of that seed. You need to water it. The second one, or the third one. Immediate protection of the seed. Community. The enemy comes in. There's another parable right after this one. If you keep reading the Bible where the enemy comes in and he sows weeds in among the, the field. Among the good seeds. The enemy wants to, he wants to put weeds in your life. He wants to choke it out. So how do we protect the good news of the gospel in our life? I believe it's through community. The best way is to surround yourself with community. I've been saying it's the fringes that are the most vulnerable places. All you have to do is watch planet earth to believe me. Because the way a predator works, I've said this before, but the way a predator works, the way a lion or a cheetah goes after its prey, guess who he goes after? Goes to the one in the herd who's left the herd and is all by themselves. Or goes to the ones on the fringes, on the edges. Those are the easy ones to attack. But guess where you're not easy to attack? When you are in the heart of the herd. When you're protected. That's where they put the young, by the way. So when you have a young seed in your heart, you need to get in the middle of community. And so many people come to God in the slowest way possible. Okay, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now I've got to just kind of take it slow and I just got to keep my distance and I'm going to kind of grow into this. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm not going to dip my toe. I'm going to jump into the endless possibilities that God has with me. I'm going to get in over my head with Christ. And part of the way we do that is by investing and going into the community that God has put in front of us, which is his church. God said, listen, I don't want you to, to uh, the churches ex exist. Let me say it this way. The church exists to build one another up one another up in our faith. So a ready heart that authentically wants to know God, a willingness to obediently trust God with baptism, and stepping into the strength of community. For the seed of the gospel to be planted and to be rooted, these are important things. Okay, so I want to round the corner. I want to start heading towards the finish line of today. Under this message is the serious business of eternal life and death. 
we must know that Jesus invites us to the gift of eternal life so that we can be saved from something and saved for something. And if there is an eternal life, well, I would say there must be an eternal death. The Bible says that eternal life is knowing God. The Bible says that eternal life is, it begins now. The Bible also says that eternal life means that after our life in the flesh, that there is a life in the kingdom, in heaven. Jesus looked at the criminal of the cross. You remember that moment? He said, hey, today you will live with me in paradise. He is saying for certainty there is more after this moment. But the Bible also says that Jesus has came to save us from eternal death. In Romans, it says this in Romans, um, what does it say? 6.23, there it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Everyone say, it's a gift. Look at your neighbor and say, seriously, it's a gift. But what does eternal death mean? In essence, what is hell? I mean, this is like one of the big questions, right? Well, I would say it's the opposite of eternal life. If eternal life is knowing God, well, eternal death is not knowing God. Eternal death is eternal separation. Eternal, uh, an eternal separation and not knowing of God forever. Eternal death or hell is the eternal consequence that sin has created. And those that choose sin... Over and self over God and faith choose eternal separation from God. I don't know, and this may be come as a surprise to you, I do not know what hell will be like. I don't. I just know that God won't be there. The scriptures are clear and helping us giving an understanding that without God there is no hope, there is no joy, there is no good, and there is no love. God is love, God is hope, God is good, and hell is eternity without God. That, my friends, is suffering. Jesus has come to give us the gift of God. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Everyone say, he gave. He gave. He's giving us a gift. His one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, shall not have eternal death, but have eternal life. This is the gift that God wants to give us. It's eternal life that begins now. Eternity is in session. But I want to ask you, have you treated what God has given you as a gift? And this is a big question, even for those of you who would say, I am saved I know Jesus intimately. Have you treated what God has given you like a gift? Because often we treat the things of God more like a responsibility or a set of rules or even worse, a reluctant requirement to get ourselves into heaven. I'll give you a few examples because I'm not just talking about, you know, the gift of salvation. I'm talking about the gift of our life with God. For example... We can treat a lot of the things of God more like the reluctant requirement than a gift. You know, God says that he wants us to take the Sabbath. And really, if we're just going to, he wants us to have a work and rest rhythm in life. 
For a lot of us, that's a reluctant requirement, but how many know that the Sabbath is a gift? It's not a requirement, it's a gift. He wants to give it to us. God wants to give us rest and he wants to give us blessing and restoration. And we try to think he's putting rules on us, but he's actually trying to give us something. How many know that, that, that tithing is actually a gift? We think it's a set of rules. We think it's something that God's called us to go and do for him, but it's actually quite the opposite. He's trying to release us of something. He's trying to give us a life of trust and faith and to give us blessing and the joy of giving. He's trying to give us something, and most of us reluctantly feel like it's a requirement, and so we give, our, we give a little bit. We won't even give the full tithe because we don't understand that God's trying to give us something. We think he's trying to take from us, but he's not. How many know that baptism, it's a gift, we think it's a requirement. Oh, he's called us to obey and step into this, but it's a gift. He wants, to, he wants to give you the moment of understanding how real and beautiful and precious is this gift that he's given us. He wants you to celebrate it with other believers where you can say, I was lost, but now I'm fine, found. I was blind, but now I see. I've crossed over from death to life. This is what he wants to give us. It's all a gift. Even coming together as a church, coming together like, oh, I got to come together one and a half hours a week. That's, that's tough, right? And so we think it's like a reluctant requirement, but he's saying, no, 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 besides the gift of salvation, the greatest gift I've given you is the church. I want you to, I want you to know that this is a gift for you, but yet we, we treat it like, oh, I, it's a requirement sometimes. We reluctantly are required to do it, but it's like, can you imagine if Jesus would have said, okay, cool, you're saved by grace. Now just go do it on your own. Every, every man for themselves, every person for themselves, it's survival of the fittest. But no, he says, I'm not going to make you do that. I'm going to give you a gift. It's called community. It's called the church. We're going to build one another up. You're going to protect one another. That is going to be my gift to you. These are all gifts. God is like, I want to give you blessing. I want to give you community. I want to give you joy. I want to give you these things. I want to give you eternal life. It can't be a minimum requirement, reluctant requirement type of salvation. The good soil of my heart says, not only do I want to know you by my head, but I want to experience you with my life. I want, to, I want to engage in the eternal realities of this moment right now. I want to create and produce fruit that lasts, God. So I want to ask you today, where are you? Where are you? And I actually have three statements that I just felt like God kind of helped me kind of put together this week. And, and, and I just want to go through each one of them. And my, my hope is that one of these three statements will sort of connect with you and where you're at. Perhaps none of them will, and that's okay. But I'll just read these, and if one connects with you, just grab a hold of it for today. This is how we're going to close. The first one is this. Maybe this is you. Where are you? I've surrendered my life to Christ, but I've been living a minimum reluctant requirement type of salvation. But today, my heart is ready to stop orbiting and start living the beautiful life with God. You see, believers can be orbiters. And some of us, we need to come out of orbit and we need to step into life. So even if you've given your life to Christ, has it been a minimum requirement type of relationship? Have you just been reluctantly doing what God's called you to do and called you to be? Maybe you need to switch and say, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. Secondly, Maybe this is you. I don't think I've truly surrendered my life to God. But today, my heart is ready to receive the gift of God's salvation through Jesus and to cross over from death to life. Just trying to put language to maybe what's really going on. Some of us in here, we've been coming and, and God just continues to, 
to speak to our heart and we're like, I, I feel like I need to step across that line of faith. I need to take that step as we used that language last week. But maybe this is you. It's time to say yes. I want to step into the life you have for me, God. I want to surrender my heart to Jesus. And then number three, maybe this is you and I'm hopeful. I'm passionate about following Jesus and I'm, I'm in a growing season. I want my life to produce eternal fruit that lasts. I'm hungry for the deeper and greater things of God's kingdom here and now. If that's you, praise God. If that's you, what's the thing that God's putting in your heart to continue to do? In other words, you're saying, I am on fire for God and I am ready to keep burning for him. Which, if any of these statements resonates with you? If there is not one that resonates, that's okay. But I'm in a belief that there's going to be a several of us that connect with one of those. Let's leave those on the screen for a moment. I want to close with this little moment and then I'll, I'll have you pray with me. But this past Monday, Monday night prayer, God was moving in a really powerful way. And, and Amanda Hicks actually shared a simple picture that the Lord gave her while she was praying. She said she simply saw a ladder kind of being put down into a deep pit. And she wasn't quite sure what it meant, I mean, outside of maybe that God was going to help someone out of a pit. But when she said it, I just had a real sense in my heart that that picture was for today and for someone in here today. That this would be really the picture that you need in order to step over from death to life. Because you're like, yeah, my life has been in a pit. I, it's not been going well. Things are tough. And, and, and you need to see that God's actually giving you a way out. But I want you to know something that's really important is that God could have, God can and he does sometimes just pick up us, pick us up out of the pit and put us on our feet. But in this particular one for you, he's putting a ladder down. And, and he's saying, will you grab a hold of and will you trust the steps I'm putting in front of you? That he's actually asking you to do something here and to climb up out of that pit with him. But he's given you the way, he's given you the rescue. And I believe this word is for someone today that it's time for you to climb out the pit that the enemies put you in. And you need to come and to step into the life that God has for you. He's making a way. And it's time for you to, to trust him with what he's doing. If that word's for you, I pray, I pray that you receive it. For the rest of us, maybe one of these three resonate with us and I wanna help us all respond to this. So I wanna pray for us and I'm gonna invite you to stand. Would you stand with me? You just close your eyes, bow your heads, and just be ready for the Spirit to move in your heart. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move right now. We ask you to do a deep work in us, Father, that, Lord, we, we're here for a reason today, and we pray for an eternal purpose today. We pray that, Father, you have eternity set in the heart of every human. We, we read that today, and so, Father, I pray right now that, Lord, that would start to stir in our heart, that, Lord, good soil would be being crafted right now in our heart, that, Lord, there would be something that you're going to be planting today that will produce fruit that lasts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Just keep your heads bowed. And I just wanna ask you a couple questions. I think just as a, for the sake of vulnerability today, I think something that really helps is just to, to raise our hand to things. And so if that first statement resonates with you, that, that idea of living a minimum requirement life, but wanting to quit orbiting and stepping, stepping into a life that God has for you. Maybe you're already a believer, but you're, you want to step forward. Would you just lift your hand? No one's looking around. Just lift your hand if that's you. If, step, if, if, if number one resonated with you, raise your hand loud and proud. That's good. 
I'm going to pray for all of you in just a moment. Number two, the number two statement was like, you know, I don't know if I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but I am ready. I want to do it. I want to step over from death to life. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand where you're at? Go ahead. Lift it up. I see a few of you. Lift it up real, up, real high so I can see you. Thank you so much. Those of you in the back, I see you. I love it. Praise God. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And then number three, if, if you're like, you know what? Good news. I'm in a growing season. I'm passionate. I'm hungry. I'm ready to roll, rock and roll. Let's do this thing. Lift your hand if that's where you're at. Lift your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Let's do this. God has something for us, an eternal purpose. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence today. I pray for each and every person, God, that's raised their hand for one of those three. Lord, would you do exactly what you want to do in them? When we walk out of here, not the same, but changed for your sake, for your glory, for your kingdom that lasts, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. And I want to keep this, everybody's heads bowed. If you raised your hand on number two, on number two, and you're like, I'm not sure I've surrendered my life to Christ, but today I'm ready. I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can do this today. You can step and cross over from death to life. So just repeat this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that. Jesus, I give you my life. You're giving him your life today. He's found you. You were lost, but now you're found. In a moment, I'm going to have you pray just forgiveness of sins. He says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have to ask for forgiveness of that. So just say this. So we've said, Jesus, give me a life. Next part of the prayer, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Just say that to him. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And today I repent. And today I repent. Now just say this. I surrender to you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Savior. And I make you Lord and King of my life. And I make you Lord and King of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I plant this seed in my heart. May it take root. We pray these things in your name. Can we just celebrate God today? I, I know that right now. What's so cool, what's so cool is people have just crossed over from death to life. How cool is that, right? Amen. Like, it's so powerful. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.